Hello, you delightful bunch of people, and welcome back to Puzzled Monkey. Now, how's everyone getting on? I hope you're all okay, or as okay as you can be. Corona okay, I think that's the new term. And yet again, thanks a million to everyone who listened to the previous episode, everyone who shared it with a friend, with an uncle, with a neighbour. It's massively appreciated and your support does not go unnoticed by myself. And I can joyfully say that we now have listeners in 25 countries. In fact, the only continent that we have yet to get a listener on is Antarctica. So get onto the penguins and tell them to have a listen. So what am I talking about today? Well, as I hinted in the previous episode, I wanted to take a little bit of a detour away from the environment, just to let you have a bit of a rest from that. After all, all this talk about big dams, reforestation, and conservative politics can take a serious toll on an individual. So I'll give you a little break. Does that mean I'm going to talk about something more uplifting? Obviously not. Today, as I hinted in the previous episode, I'm going to talk about education. Because it's safe to say that the environment is not the only thing that's in crisis at the moment. The education systems of not only the UK, but many other countries are also in dire straits. And this obviously has something to do with that little issue we're facing at the moment called coronavirus. Which is something I've kind of avoided talking about on the podcast thus far. But I guess it's time to face it head on. At last. (laughs) What I want to talk about in this episode is how education systems cope or do not cope under siege-like conditions. With this in mind, I want to compare the current experiences of schools and school children under COVID restrictions in the UK to how schools adapted and evolved during the siege of Sarajevo in the 1990s. Now, to be clear from the outset, I'm not equating these events. I'm not saying that the current situation in the UK is identical or maybe even comparable to the experience of people that actually lived through the siege of Sarajevo. I'd be a person who is blessed to have many Bosnian friends and the last thing I want to do is to minimise their experience of the conflict. But I do strongly believe that insights and stories from Sarajevo are so important to help us understand the current moment when kids in the UK and in many other places are not in what would be classed as conventional educational spaces. And it's wild to think that, despite the breakdown of Yugoslavia being so recent and so close to us, we never really learn anything about it. But what is the crack with British schools at the moment? Well, as I'm sure we're all very aware, on the 5th of January, Big Boris announced that all primary and secondary schools must be shut And this, of course, was precipitated by an entry to the third instalment of lockdown. Always very scared of third instalments. Always risk being the worst of the bunch. Anyway, within this statement, there was an expectation that schools would yet again be called upon to provide remote learning, which I think, and I might be wrong here, is a mixture of online and parent-driven education. And we were told that this was going to be the modus operandi for all schools until at least mid-February. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I hear a politician say, at least, alarm bells begin to jingle in my head. Because funnily enough, we are in mid-February now, and the schools are still shut. Who would have predicted that? And of course, the latest projections suggest that schools will be reopened on the 8th of March. But I think we'll wait and see how that one goes. Christ, even as I'm saying that, I'm getting stressed out and I don't even have kids for God's sake. And I guess that's exactly the issue at hand. 
because these lockdowns have had a massive impact on parents and children alike. I mean, being in a lockdown without a kid can get pretty damn intense and has its own stresses. But imagine if you're working from home or maybe you've lost your job or you're furloughed. And then alongside all of that, you have to teach your kids about simultaneous equations or, I don't know, longshore drift. It's going to add another facet of stress, another facet of responsibility to parents who I'm sure feel already massively overburdened by the crisis. And then running in tandem with these issues, you have the impact that the lockdown is having on kids. Because I think it would be perhaps the understatement of the century that these lockdowns create a sense of isolation and distance from a community. And with schools being rendered off limits, the social bonds that both invigorate life but also maintain it are being denied to our young people. And yeah, of course, I realise they're still going to be talking to their peer group on WhatsApp or Facebook or whatever, but it's not the same as actually meeting up at school and shooting the shit with your mates. Now, that being said, it does appear that schools were much more prepared for a lockdown this time in comparison to where we were last year, which is obviously understandable considering we hadn't really seen an impact like this for a long period of time. However, there is a distinct danger that this will only paper over the cracks of educational inequality that developed so extremely during the lockdowns of 2020. Now, of course, the lockdowns didn't create these inequalities. They've been festering for a long period of time. And I think in actuality, lockdown has acted as the litmus test that has allowed us to realise how broken our educational system is, which I guess in one sense is a highly positive thing. The issue is it's come at an immense cost to certain members of society, namely in this case, children themselves, and especially those that come from a more socioeconomically deprived background, because wealthier kids would have greater access to resources like private tutoring, they may have a better home setup, they may well have more devices that will allow them to access lessons, they might even have a room to themselves so they don't have to be embarrassed about not having any privacy when speaking to teachers. In other words, although, yes, schools are doing better at dealing with the situation, policymakers need to act in a way that ensures that the gulf between disadvantaged and better-off pupils doesn't keep developing at the terrifying rate in which it did during the 2020 crisis. One approach that the government has taken to try and flatten out the uneven impacts that COVID has had on kids is to cancel GCSEs and A-levels for a second year running. And when I heard this, I asked myself a little question. You know, how would I feel if my A-levels or my GCSEs are being cancelled. And if I'm honest, part of me thought I'd be a little bit gassed because obviously no one enjoys the sweaty terror of sitting a maths exam or a geography test. There's nothing particularly fun about it. But then remembering the absolute debacle that happened last year with regard to predicted grades, maybe it's better off sitting the exam because at least then you have some gauge of how you actually did. Perhaps what this educational crisis illustrates to parents, kids and onlookers alike is this issue of reducing someone's intelligence, a singular intelligence at that, which I don't think really exists, down to a letter. Anyway, this image of kids in the UK being cooped up in their gaffes learning about the periodic table amongst other delights made me think of this idea of being under siege, because for many, it must feel like COVID is kind of the enemy at the gates. It's looking in at them, laughing, giggling, limiting their capacity for expression, for freedom, and an idea of self. 
But I wondered what would happen if we actually compared the situation in the UK to a historical siege. Would we learn anything? Well, puzzled monkeys, let's bloody find out. The siege of Sarajevo is the longest siege of a capital city in the modern history of warfare because it lasted from April 1992 to February 1996. That's nearly four years. Four years of siege. Imagine the restrictions now that we're experiencing in the UK for four years, uninterrupted and with the constant threat of violence and loss of life. Because a great deal of people did lose their lives in Sarajevo during this time. Like the conflict in the Punjab we covered in the previous episode, statistics on the number of fatalities is mixed. But independent sources suggest it was somewhere in the remit of 14,000 people. 5,500 of which were civilians. A bit like a nested Matryoshka Russian doll, the siege of Sarajevo is part of the broader Bosnian War, which itself was part of the breakdown of Yugoslavia in the 90s. This conflict is very nuanced and would take a book, never mind an episode on a bloody podcast run by a moron like me, to unpack and unpick. That being said, at the centre of the dissolution of Yugoslavia was ethnic tensions between the different peoples of the country, ethnic tensions that boiled over into violence. Following the example of Slovenia and Croatia to the north, Bosnia achieved independence via a referendum in 1992. Now the voter turnout was about 63% and 99.7% of voters chose independence. Can you imagine if Brexit voters had won by that landslide? Or for example, voters for Scottish independence? The scenes would have been absolutely mental. And I'd say there would have been some serious scenes to be seen on the streets of cities like Sarajevo at this point in time. However, after the referendum, things went pretty south pretty damn quickly. Because Bosnia would be a highly multicultural nation, both presently and historically. It's home to Muslim Bosniaks, Orthodox Serbs, Catholic Croats and many others. In fact, Sarajevo can be considered the Istanbul of the Balkans, home to mosques, churches from different denominations and synagogues. However, despite this multi-ethnic and multi-religious makeup of the country, there were certain members of Bosnian society who did not accept the results of this independence referendum. Chief among them were highly nationalistic Bosnian Serbs, who wanted to create a Serb homeland in Bosnia. And here they were utilising the ideology of separating groups by ethnicities. They were guided by this idea that Serbs, Croats and Bosniaks simply cannot coexist together. And this is an ideology that sadly will be very familiar to many of us. It's something that is still being touted with dangerous repetition today. But what actually happened during the siege of Sarajevo? Well, the city is located in a bowl around heavily forested hills and mountains. And soon after the referendum, 13,000 nationalistic Bosnian Serbs took up strategic positions around the city. They had tanks. They were armed with snipers and mortars. They were suited and booted up there, surveying the city, surveying what was going on, who was entering, who was leaving. They were beginning to formulate a plan of attack. And first and foremost, they start blockading the city. They start blocking the exits. And Serbs living in the city are advised to leave. But interestingly, many stayed behind as they felt more Sarajevan than Serbian. 
or they felt that their Serbianness didn't come at the cost of not being Sarajevan. When the exits began to be blocked, I wonder what it must have felt like in the city. I presume fear sets in, spreads, very infectious, not unlike COVID. Because what's more dangerous and pervasive, the illness or the fear and the subsequent behaviour that it inspires? Eventually, the anticipation is punctured as the paramilitaries that encircled the city proceed to shell and snipe the fuck out of the city and its people day and night. And what they do is they target utilities such as water and electricity. They're trying to break morale, trying to break the spirit of the people. Because, as I said, Sarajevo is located in a basin, which means it gets supremely cold during the winter. If you take away the power, the electricity, you're going to create a horrible, horrible environment for people to try and carry on living. But people didn't just hunker down during this time like you'd expect them to. People continued to work under these siege-like conditions. People had to commute under wartime conditions. Imagine that. Imagine commuting to work with the fear you're going to be shot down by a mortar or a sniper. Now, I'm not saying it's the same thing, but the fear of being targeted by an invisible enemy is certainly something we can identify with during COVID times. One road in Sarajevo was so notoriously dangerous, it was termed Sniper Alley. Soldiers were hauled up in the high-rise buildings at the centre of the city, and they basically had free reign to take shots at people running, sprinting down these alleys to get to work. And many people lost their lives on the daily commute to try and keep some semblance of normality going. I read that there was a pervasive sense in Sarajevo at the time that there was a bullet out there with your name on it. And regardless of whether you got home, locked the door behind you, locked it twice perhaps, ran up the stairs, got into bed, pulled the sheets over your head, you couldn't stop the bullet from finding you. And I think this is strikingly similar to the way in which some people, an increasing number of people in fact, are feeling during the lockdowns in the UK. This sense that if I leave the house, I am going to be targeted. There is not necessarily a bullet with my name on it, but there certainly is a germ out there that is destined to interact with me and me alone. And I think one of the greatest hangovers, perhaps the greatest hangover we're going to have to deal with in a post-COVID world, whatever that looks like, and if indeed that is actually going to happen, is this issue of agoraphobia, this terror when it comes to socialising and interacting with other people. This is a skill that may well have to be relearnt, which is crazy when you think about the fact that we are a social species. Homo sapiens evolved to be social. In fact, we've evolved in a certain way because we are social. It's been selected for. So in a way, you could almost say that the lockdowns are fighting our genetics. Does that mean that we shouldn't have them? Certainly not. But they are undoubtedly having a dynamic and potentially dangerous interplay with our nature as a species. But what about the children of the siege? What impact did the wartime conditions have on the children of Sarajevo? Well, at the time of the siege, there were an estimated 62,000 kids under the age of 14 living in the city. It was about 20% of the population. And because of the brutality of the conflict, it was impossible to shield kids from war. At least 40% were shot at by snipers, 
51% saw someone killed, and 39% witnessed a family member killed. And during the siege, every child became a ballistics expert. They were able to distinguish mortar fire from a tank shell, from a Kalashnikov round to a submachine gun round. They were endowed with a type of knowledge that children usually do not and should not have. And sadly, schools were not exempt from the indiscriminate violence that emanated from the hills. And mainstream schooling and the locations in which it took place were basically abandoned. However, education itself was not abandoned. It adapted. It did not fold. Classes were reorganized in new locations, in basements, hair salons, chemists, and even casinos. I mean, imagine doing past participles by a poker table or times tables by betting machines. It's quite a visceral image and perhaps more exciting than my GCSE maths classroom. Now, children came to school exceedingly cold, exceedingly hungry, but they did come every day. And what they brought with them is amazing, really. They brought firewood and candles because, as I said, electricity was kaput and they huddled there in their coats while these courageous teachers committed to giving their students a normal education. So strong was this commitment that examinations were not cancelled for the children. They still had to do their geography exams, their maths exams in these new locations that the teachers had created for them. And although this is obviously very inspiring, I do feel a little bit for the kids here. <laughs> you know, they're dealing with a great deal of brutality at home. They're dealing with the threat of violence on an everyday basis. And then they're told that it's examination season. And even though this might seem really intense, it probably worked to mitigate this feeling of idleness. You know, it gave the kids something to actually do during the day. And yeah, it might be a bit painful to practice the past participles and such, but it does give you a raison d'etre. And that's something that I think we can compare to the current situation under the COVID lockdown. I think that's the main feeling people are experiencing, this sense of paralysis, this sense of Groundhog Day. And this is really interesting because even though the Sarajevan children were actually in a siege, like a genuine siege, there was a sense, maybe not of freedom, but at least of meaning. And I'd say that these two things, especially the latter, are what children of the COVID lockdowns are crying out for. A sense of meaning, a sense of purpose in a time where everything seems to be in flux, everything's up in the air. And I'm sure that there was this sense also in Sarajevo. But the fact that the education system not only persisted, but adapted to the conditions at least meant that people were imbued with a sense of defiance. Going to school itself was a genuine act of resistance, of rebellion against those forces that had encircled the city from the hills. And there just appears to be no analogue, no space for resistance or rebellion in our present situation under COVID lockdown. The capacity itself to carry out any forms of this behaviour and the spaces that you would carry out within have rightly or wrongly been completely taken away from public life. And this, I feel, is one of the main reasons we're seeing huge degrees of anger that threaten to boil over into violence among people in the UK, and I'm sure this is the case in many other nations. Anyway, I'm not here to debate whether we should have gone into lockdown or not. After all, I am just a bloke sitting in his bedroom, talking into a microphone. So what impact did the siege of Sarajevo have on the children? Because up till now, 
I've only really talked about the heroics of teachers and parents and the children themselves alike. Now, I'm not a psychologist, (laughs) as I'm not a historian. What am I? I don't think kids come out of the womb with prejudice. I reckon that's something they learn post-birth, shall we say. And in general, kids trust people. That's kind of in their nature. But when you take an unformed mind that is evolving and adapting to certain stimuli that's happening around it, and you subject it to the sustained brutality of a siege, it's going to have quite a distinct impact. I mean, imagine consistently having to question, who was your friend or foe in the neighbourhood you lived in? Because during the war, neighbours became threats, either real or imagined, and families may have broken down over ethnic lines. What's the impact of all this? Well, I think kids lose faith in the adult world, which is the world, of course, they're waiting in the wings to join. And this, sadly, has quite clear parallels to the way in which young people may begin to feel or even have begun to feel about their future during the lockdown. Do our young people, not allowed to go to school, not allowed to see their mates, feel like they're going to have a stake in grown-up society? Do they even feel like they want to have a stake in grown-up society at this moment? I don't know. And sadly, no one really does. And that's the crux of this issue. Like most issues, if we really admit to ourselves, we don't know what impact COVID will have on the development of kids, on the way they relate to others, to society. And perhaps most importantly, how they relate to themselves, because these are seriously formative years in their lives. And if they feel that the world is crumbling down around them, they may expect to find themselves in the rubble that's left behind. However, perhaps in the same way that COVID has acted as the litmus test that has shone a light on the inequalities and issues that are built into our education system, maybe it can also be the catalyst that allows us to begin to plug the gap of inequality. However, as I illustrated before, It's not as if that's a fixed target. The gap is growing and it's growing exponentially. So for the sake of the mental health of the children of this siege, there need to be services that are put in place or increased in accessibility for those that already exist to help kids on this very challenging journey that they find themselves on. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I know what these services look like and how they should operate, how they should function, who should fund them and who should have preferential access to them, perhaps. In fact, I'd be really interested to hear what you guys, the listeners, think should be put in place and why. And with that in mind, I'm going to shamelessly point you in the direction of the Facebook page that has been created for this podcast. It is simply Puzzled Monkey Podcast on Facebook. And I've even gone further and created a bloody Instagram. Look at me, technological geezer. It's puzzledmonkey underscore podcast. These platforms will be the hubs on which updates for new episodes and the direction in which the podcast is moving will be posted. So do please join. I'd also love to get your takes, your perspectives on the things that I'm talking about. So interact with these pages. Feel free to leave a comment. Leave an insight. (laughs) Yeah, it'd be great to hear from you guys. And with that little pluck on your heartstrings, I'm going to call an end to this episode of Puzzled Monkey. Thank you once again for listening. I really appreciate you being here and listening to this in these wild times. To any Bosnian listeners, well, I hope I did a relatively good job. (laughs) 
If I didn't, I'm sure you'll tell me, and rightly so. It would be great to hear from you, either publicly or privately, about whether you think there can be a connection made between the siege of Sarajevo and the current conditions that we all find ourselves in. So yeah, peace and love to Bosnians, peace and love to all, and yeah, catch you next time. Ta-ra. Thank you.